You're listening to Allied Health Podcast, talking all things Allied Health, with your hosts Danielle Whedon, physiotherapist, and Claire Jones, occupational therapist. Welcome back to Allied Health Podcast. In this episode, Claire sits down with Catherine Frame, occupational therapist, director and owner of a very successful occupational rehabilitation and medico-legal company, and most recently Allied Health Manager at St. Vincent's Private Hospital in Toowoomba, Queensland. With an abundance of experience in allied health management, Catherine shares with us and yourselves her expert advice on navigating the recruitment process from an employer's perspective and what she looks for when hiring allied health professionals. So would you like to start by giving us an overview on your career through occupational therapy? Sure, happy to, Claire, and you know how old I am, so this could take a while, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess, yeah, I went to, um, I'm from Queensland, I went to the University of Queensland and studied occupational therapy. I'm not sure I really understood the breadth of OT uh, at that time, and I think when I was at uni, I was mainly interested in hand therapy and paediatrics. And, of course, I've not ended up in either of those (laughs) areas of clinical practice. So my first role after uni, I did pursue the paediatric area. And I I had a little uh, yellow Corolla and I hopped in the Corolla in the middle of summer with no air conditioning and I drove out to Roma. And that was my first job. I worked at the education department in Roma and actually you sort of look back at your career and you really see a series of sliding doors. I, I met a, uh, an OT who had been in my role at the ed department and she'd moved up to the hospital. Her name was Angela and later Angela was to become my business partner years later actually and we we had a really successful business together. Um, so she was a real mentor to me in that role. It was a fairly isolated role. Um, I was a sole therapist at the Ed Department, uh, but we did have some really good supports from Brisbane in terms of the, um, I'm not even going to be able to remember what the unit was called, but there was a, a unit of really experienced therapists who were always on the phone um, and we were able to, to contact them when we needed them. So... From there, I stayed there for about two years and then I moved back to Brisbane, did a little locum, and then I went overseas and did did some work overseas, mainly in acute adult, um, uh, in in hospitals, in the acute setting, uh, working with adults. So that was quite a different experience to what I had had in Roma. So I spent 12 months in London and, um, and England, so I worked in Yorkshire as well came home and went back into paediatrics, so so worked at um, Ipswich Special School and covered the Ipswich area, working in both mainstreams and special schools. Um, So it turned out it was during that time that I was working at Ipswich that I went to a a birthday party, actually, at the races, and I ran into my old friend Angela, who had been my uh, mentor in Roma, and she was working in Oc Rehab. and it was an area that I had had a lot of interest in but had never really had any experience. And uh, I was interested, I guess, in finding out what she had been doing. And she said, well, actually, there's a role going at the moment. So I ended up having a, an interview with an organisation called Workplace Solutions, um, which was based in Fortitude Valley. And I, I got that job and that's kind of, that started me on the path, I think, to um, 
to what became, I guess, my main practice area for the next 13 years. So Ange and I ended up going into business together. Um, we had um, we were both in relationships with fellows who were from the country. Um, my now husband um, was working in Gundawindi at the time and, and Ange's partner Ben was in Milmerin. So we decided that we'd pack up um, from Brisbane and move to Toowoomba. And our boss at the time said, well, would you think about setting up a franchise of Workplace Solutions? So we did that. And then um, uh, things happened and um, we were able to go out on our own together. We were never going to employ anyone. We were just going to be sole therapists doing what we love to do. And um, it turns out that after 12 years, we had a um, workforce of about 20 staff, which made up about 13 or 14 um, FTEs. So... Uh, we had this business, we were working in op rehab, but we were also doing medico-legal work. Uh, we were servicing the private hospital, which was St Vincent's, um, with some of our OTs. So they, they'd visit the hospital and um, do a lot of the um, occupational therapy um, service over there. And uh, we also uh, started working in the MDIS space when that um, came about, and I can't. I think that was about 2017 that that rolled out into Wombler. So I uh, might have been mean a bit earlier than that, 2016, I think. So we were approached by a, a national company and um, were asked if we wanted to sell. Uh, we really loved what we were doing, so we said, "No way, we're not for sale." Um, <laughs> but uh, then it turned out that we ended up changing our minds, and we did end up selling our business. And uh, from there. There was a certain restriction of trade, obviously, but um, St Vincent's Private did approach me because they were looking at bringing their allied health uh, service in-house. So they, uh, previous to that time, uh, had had private providers providing the occupational therapy, physiotherapy, speech pathology um, and dietetic services. So um, I came over initially as an occupational therapist and then I... Um, moved into the allied health manager role and that's where I'm at at the moment. So we employ uh, the five different disciplines now, so physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech pathology, dietetics and social work is one of our new offerings as well at St Vincent's in Toowoomba. So that's where I spend my time. Kath, I'm often asked by um, student, um, allied health students and um, early career therapists um, if it's possible to to transfer from one area of say OT to another and just listening to your story there so you started out in pediatrics you went overseas and had a stint of doing locum work in acute adult work mm-hmm. you then came back and went back into pediatrics and then you transferred over to OR to occupational rehab and then I guess having your own business, um, you organically moved into a management role within OR and now have, have um, and now currently a manager of allied your manager of allied health at St. Vincent's Private. That really goes to show that you can you can chop chop and change with OT, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah, you develop um, transferable skills that are really useful in so many different areas. And I think that's a real um, a really good point of our um, professions that you can do that. Mm. And I, I, you know, the greatest piece of advice I, I, I heard in, um, in terms of being an occupational therapist is that you, um, the first five years of your career really doesn't define you. And it is your opportunity to move about and 
you know, in, you know, try a number of different areas to see, you know, what what works best for you and what you enjoy most. Absolutely, yeah, it's uh, it is good, and certainly, you know, the paediatrics. I in, in terms of my medical legal work, that did come in really handy as well. So you're always using um, your different skill sets in in different. Um, there's different opportunities that arise. So yeah, it is really mm. good. So obviously you've had um, a lot of experience in recruitment, having your own business and um, also in the position that you're in now. Um, can you describe um, the recruitment, the typical recruitment process for allied health professionals at St Vincent's Private in Toowoomba? Sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, as you said, I, I've had experience in the um, in in the small business kind of sphere as well. And certainly the process we use at St Vincent's Private is a lot more structured than what we, we did in private practice. Um, so we have uh, an enterprise agreement um, that covers the three private hospitals that we have here in Queensland. So we have um, our Kangaroo Point Hospital and St Vincent's Northside as well. And so we have the one enterprise agreement. So that's a really good place to start, I guess, for, for people who do uh, want to work um, for an organisation is looking at um, whether there is an enterprise agreement in place specifically, um, which will go through the different sort of levels and pay points. So we have um, in Allied Health, we have a level one, which is an Allied Health assistant. We have level twos, threes, fours and five. So a level two is what a new grad would start on. And there's sort of four pay points there. So our process would be that we would decide on which level we're wanting to advertise. And sometimes we don't even... Um, say within the ad what level we're looking for. We call it an evergreen ad. So that might be that we are really happy to look at um, any level really, whether it's two or three usually. We, a, a four is a clinical lead, so we would advertise that specifically. But sometimes we'll say specifically we want a two or specifically we want a three or we may just um, not say any level. And when you go into the... Um, to the job ad, uh, there'll actually be two position descriptions there and we would, depending on the experience of the person, look at the role according to that. Um, we don't, we haven't yet advertised for a, an actual new grad position for a 12-month period. Um, we've advertised for level twos, so um, being a new sort of team, I guess that's, that's the way we've gone, um, but certainly we've picked up some new grads in that. So we put the ad out on Indeed and it's also on our website and our um, St Vincent's Health Australia also have um, a process whereby people can apply through, through the, the wider website called our Healthcare Heroes. So there doesn't even need to be an ad up for, for people to register their interest um, in that regard and that covers all of our hospitals actually. Um, but certainly Indeed or the St Vincent's Private Hospital website is where we advertise. Um, so all we ask for is that people submit their cover letter um, and a cur curriculum vitae. We then review the applications and, um, and we shortlist um, who we're going to interview. Um, we call the applicant to arrange the interview. Then we do the in interview reference checks and then we let the applicant know. So that's kind of the, the process in a nutshell. Okay. Now, in your, your opinion, what makes a written application stand out? So when you're reviewing a number of applications, what makes you choose certain candidates from their written application? 
Sure. So in the cover letter, we really want to see that it's um, tailored to our organisation, that there's been some research about our organisation, that there's an understanding of how um, the applicant's skill set um, can apply to the position description. Um, addressing the letter to the, the contact person in the ad is really important too, rather than sort of just saying to whom it may concern. Um, I think it's really important to, to say, you know, dear Miss Frame or um, dear Catherine. Um, and, and then we know that it's not just a kind of um, template, I suppose, that people mm. are sending out. They're really tailoring it to our organisation. Uh, so relevant work experience really stands out. So um, for a new grad, I guess, you know, where did you do your practice? Do you have a part-time job or have you had a part-time job while you've been at uni? And what's that been in? So certainly, if you know, we've had people apply who've been successful, who've um, done some disability support work. Um, and have you had any volunteer positions as well? So, so that's really important. And, and those types of things stand out because it shows that um, people have kind of got some professional skills in place already. Um, I guess uh, referees are quite important. We've had a few people apply for jobs where uh, they, they might have put a referee down that, um, you know, has had no hospital experience, for example, and, and wouldn't be able to comment from a professional sense on, on how um, this person has um, uh, performed, I guess, in a hospital. And probably um, that may be a little irrelevant for here in the sense that it's more the senior positions that we, we'd want to see um, have the hospital experience. But certainly do pay some attention to who you've got there as your referees um, and it is good if it's somebody who's been your supervisor for your prac um, so that they can really give us information. Because we do, if we're looking at somebody for a job, they've gotten through that interview process and we're to that point of checking um, referees. Uh, it is, that is a really important part. So don't, don't um, not pay attention to, to who you've put down as your referees. Catherine, we also um, we also um, advise, um, especially um, graduating therapist students, to use um, referees from more recent clinical placements. We often request references from referees who really and understandably can't comment too much on how the the person performed in their practice because they simply can't remember. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, using yeah. using a referee from say a, a short first year placement um, isn't as it doesn't provide um, you with as much relevant information as using someone from a fourth year um, clinical placement that was a solid placement of sort of six to eight weeks long. Absolutely. Yeah. Because some of the questions um, that we ask are quite specific about you know punctuality, any quality improvement activities that were worked on. Um, those types of things. So if your if your referee is just saying, "Look, I can't remember" or "I don't know," um, then yeah, they're not they're not a very useful um, referee for us. So um, I think that's that's a good point. Um, spelling and grammar is really important. Mm. <laughs> so um, if you need somebody to check um, or edit it for you before you send it, then do that. If you're um, because yeah, I mean obviously. Um, we could potentially miss out on somebody really good who, whose grammar may not be perfect, um, but we do really um, want to make sure that what you're 
providing to us is is um, really worthy, I guess, of um, of application, and I guess it shows us respect as well. Um, and, and that's probably so. No, Catherine, I was just going to say that it's um, it's as simple as using spell check, isn't it? And it really does reflect your um, ability to attend to detail. Yes. And, again, that's a transferable does. skill. Correct. And there's so much written documentation that um, you need to do in our roles. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is really important. And, and you know, in, in a hospital, um, in our hospital, we still have um, written charts so we don't have an EMR yet so um you do need to demonstrate yeah reasonably good written communication (laughs) so that that is a a key skill that we'd be looking out for Um, and just you know a well set out CV we don't want to see gaps or unanswered questions in the CV so you know if you have had a break for parental leave or um another break for for whatever reason just explain that out because we do pick that up and say well what's happened here and where's this gap being so again not as relevant for new grads but it may be for perhaps some of the mature age um new grads do we still call people mature age (laughs) (laughs) you need to be careful these days how you label students and label people so um yeah so I guess that, yeah, in terms of what makes a written application stand out to me, they're probably the key things. Great, great. Now, what um, what format does an interview typically take? So, we, yeah, as I said, we have a quite formal process. So, um, so, so you're talking about, you know, from uh, like we've set the time, we've, we've called mm. the, the person up and said come in for the interview. Um, we would typically... Uh, First, firstly, go through um, an introduction of the panel. So we have uh, usually two to three people on a panel for a new graduate position or a level two position. We'd usually have two people on the panel. Um, and in Allied Health, that would typically be myself and then the clinical lead for the discipline. So if it's a speech pathology position, we'd have our level four speechy um, or, and um, so forth for OT, physio, social work, etc. So we would explain the role um, and then there's there's a bit of a checklist that we go through, um, which we may do at the start or the end. People are fairly keen to jump straight into the formal questions. We have a, um, we do have formal questions that we devise prior to the interview and we do a lot of writing during the interview. So we don't give a lot of verbal feedback and I guess that's, um, that's where we need to sort of keep it consistent um, across uh, the, if we've we've got a number of people that we're interviewing. Um, But certainly there's a lot of writing and we do actually score um, those those answers after the interview. Mm -hmm. Um, So so there would be key things that we're looking for in an answer to a question. but, you know, in saying that, we do get such variable responses. Um, so, so the key things that we're looking for, and, and we do a lot of behavioural questioning, so that's where we want to know um, in a particular situation what have you done um, what and, and what were the results of that and on reflection would you do anything different. So I think um, 
you know, some people use the STAR method, so situation, task, action, result. Um, and, yeah, we actually ask our questions in that format as well. Um, so, so some of the questions are behavioural um, and there'd be key things that we'd be looking for the applicant to be kind of um, addressing within, within the question. Um, and then we do um, one or two clinical questions, but certainly in those behavioural questions, people have the opportunity to bring out those clinical skills. So we ask the questions um, and then we give the opportunity for the applicant to ask their questions as well. So they may have some questions um, around the particular role um, and I think um, we can go into that in more detail later on. Um, but, yeah, so we ask our questions, they ask their questions. We do have a bit of a checklist that we run through in the sense of um, just providing more detail around the position. Um, and then that's pretty much the interview process. So, yeah. And the questions that you ask, Catherine, um, are they... Are they questions that come from the position dis description? Uh, the key points mentioned in in terms of getting an idea, preparing for an interview, what what potentially is going to be asked in interview? Um, the, are the questions taken from key points in the advertisement or the position description? Absolutely, yeah. So things around teamwork and communication and um, time management, those types of things, um, providing high. Um, quality of clinical care would be something that's in the position description and therefore, you know, there'd be a question around that in terms of um, a, you know, a clinical question um, and looking at the process that a person might take to kind of um, address that uh, situation. Um, what else? And I guess it's important with your clinical questions as, a, um, as an interviewee that um, what you're really wanting to see is, um, very sound clinical reasoning. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite interesting. I think allied health in general, we can be doing things that look quite simple to the outside world, don't they? To, to, very much um, so. Yeah, but the clinical reasoning that sits behind that can be quite complex. And I think that's, that's a key skill that um, certainly early career OTs um, need to develop um, and so being able to demonstrate that and an understanding of that in the interview is really important. I think having particular examples um, in preparation for the interview is really good. So we do often ask people to provide an example, if they can, of where they've demonstrated this skill. So um, there might be a question, for example, about having to deal with a difficult um, patient or family um, or client or family um, or a difficult co-worker. And then we might say, can you think of a time when you've had you've you've been in a situation like this? What would you what did you do? What was the situation? What did you do? Um, what was the outcome? And then on reflection, would you do anything differently? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's possible to have sort of a bank of, of examples ready to go, but then the skill is in making sure you attach the right example to the right question because <laughs> you don't want to have all these examples and then um, it to be completely irrelevant to the question that's being asked. So, um, absolutely. And I think we um, nerves play a big part in um, nerves play a big part in um, in how you perform in an interview. Absolutely. And that's where you can get caught up and you get overwhelmed and you can start 
putting the wrong example with the with with the wrong question and um it, it can get quite overwhelming can't it oh absolutely and i think something that's really important to remember is that we've all been there we've all been new grads absolutely. we all have to go for interviews even not as a new grad you know we've been in interviews where we've been nervous we all react differently to nerves i know i get this red rash that goes up my neck so i i uh i tend to wear sort of high collared um shirts and that kind of thing because there is nothing i can do to stop it (laughs) it's my adrenaline and i think it's a good thing um in a certain sense because it shows that i care about you know um what I'm doing um but yeah I think everybody responds differently to to stress and pressure and I think it's a really good um insight to have into your own behaviors as to how you do actually respond to um stress um and being in kind of pressurizing situations I guess Mm. um and then thinking about different strategies you can use uh you know I said before I did um medical legal work and I remember having to give evidence um in court unfortunately it was always phone evidence that's the good thing about working regionally I can't make it to Brisbane I can't attend court <laughs> in a very high-necked college chair <laughs> Um, so, you know, I would have to kind of take myself into a quiet room and do some deep breathing and, mm. and just try to stay calm um, beforehand. And I think those kind of strategies always work for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's something to pay attention to in the sense of how um, you individually are going to um, uh, manage those mm-hmm. nerves so that they don't impact your performance to a, a point where your potential employer isn't going to see the best of you in that interview. Yeah. And and preparation really is key, isn't it, to settling those nerves? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you can really think about, well, here's the position description. What is the employer looking for? What type of um, therapist or allied health professional are they after? What are the key things that they'll be looking for? And then how can I bring that to the interview how can I show them that I've got that skill set and um, those behaviors that they they want to have me as part of their team Mm -hmm. so Catherine um what what questions do you often get asked by applicants in an interview what what questions do you like to be asked in an interview uh look I like to see that the applicant has a is really keen and wants to learn, understands that they're a new grad, so they don't know everything yet, um, but that they're really keen to learn. So, so I guess asking questions about the type of support that they'll receive as a new graduate, um, both on the ground and what sort of access to see uh, continuing professional development they might get, um, and certainly. You know, our perspective is that, yes, we we absolutely want to support people um, with their CPD and we do um, by way of, you know, study days and um, and providing some um, financial support. Um, but certainly there is an expectation that um, the individual will make some contribution to that as well. So we kind of, I think asking around that would be good. And, and what sort of experience... Um, those people who are going to be mentoring me um, or supervising me, what's what's their experience, um, and and what sort of support, yeah, can I expect to have? Um, I think you know, well thought out questions do show 
an initiative and and it's not good to ask questions just for question you know just for the sake of asking a question you do need to be authentic about it um we do have a checklist that we go through that often people will say to me oh look i did have questions but you've actually answered them so the the type of things are parking where they're going to park these are really basic sort of things like where are we going to park and you know how much does it cost i like Um, it practical yeah (laughs) um what else is in that? Um, uniforms. So mm-hmm. we can provide uniforms. Um, uh, shift lengths and, and hours of work is important. So um, as an example, um, some of our roles are nearly full-time, but we actually advertise them as part-time because they're like 70 hours a fortnight instead of sort of 76. But it does allow um, people to be able to flex up. So we will generally describe explain exactly you know what the hours of work are um we'll direct people to the enterprise agreement so that they understand you know what the leave is because certainly um we have physios who do weekend shifts and um that will usually make them eligible for five weeks a year holiday instead of four weeks a year so things like that um is really uh, i guess they're really good things to understand um, with regard to the role and it's not necessarily going to make or break it for you mm. um, but it just sort of sets the expectation for you um, how long in, in advance do I need to submit my leave applications that kind of thing mm. I think that can be a really good question to ask um, and certainly if you are wanting to take leave or you've booked a holiday you think well I really wanted to apply for the job but I have booked an overseas holiday yeah. not that any of us have done that recently, <laughs> um, unfortunately but um, you know it um, I'm hoping that I'd still be able to take that. I really want the job, that that kind of thing, being upfront rather than starting on your first day and saying, oh, by the way, I need four yeah. weeks off in two weeks' time. Um, you know, that doesn't go across very well. So anything like that that's specific to your situation I think is good to raise at the interview. Um, I think that also shows, um, well, for a start, no one likes a surprise. So I like that point you make about leave, Kath, because there's, um, it's it's not good as an employer to have someone on their first day tell you that they've booked a six-week holiday, but it also reflects um, transparency. Yes, um, absolutely, and honesty and integrity. Yeah, yeah, really good qualities. Mm. Actually, that just reminds me too, Claire, of um, you know, often organisations have what we call values. And it's really important to know the values of the organisation um, when you're going for an interview as well. So, um, so yeah, so for instance, our, our four main values are integrity, excellence, compassion and justice. And we will often have a question around that. But certainly I think businesses, even small businesses these days, do have those values. So it's really good to understand what they are before you go into the interview. That's something I missed, sorry. That's a, really, that's a very good point to make, Kath. Really good point. Um, now, what happens after an interview? Um, yeah, so after an interview, um, look, I guess the timeframes for getting everything done um, can vary. We have a, um, a we've got a fairly big organisation, so we have a human resource department. Um, we would do a reference check, and I spoke about reference checks before. Um, for usually just for the person that we're thinking has got the job. So we won't do everybody's reference check. We will, in the interview, ask, um, I mean, some people will will not put their referees on the on their application. They will say, um, you know, to be um, provided on request. Um, so 
but we always, whether that's there or not, we will always ask in the interview, um, are you happy for us to contact your referees? So usually the person that we are going to appoint or we think we're going to appoint, we will do their reference check first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, I guess that process of um, letting that, once we've, we've done the reference checks, and they can sometimes take time because if you've got a refer- referee who's overseas or mm-hmm. on holidays, um, you know, it, it can be difficult um, to track them down and so that can actually extend the process a little bit. Um, we don't let unsuccessful applicants know until that person who we've offered the job to has let us know that they have accepted the role because, um, and, and look, you know, I think it's one of the least enjoyable aspects of my role is having to ring a fabulous interviewee who didn't get the job. Um, I don't enjoy that at all. Um, and I, I always do like to give feedback to them. And, you know, we I remember we had an OT role um, that was advertised a couple of years ago and we've got a fabulous OT. She was in her second year. Um, she, she had done a, a year in one of the um, Brisbane Metropolitan Hospitals, but we had a new grad apply as well for that role. And look, from the interview, I mean, it was like splitting hairs, honestly. I I could not give her any feedback. I just said to her, just do what you did. <laughs> you know, just do what you did for yeah. us. You'll get a job. It's yeah. just that, you know, it's just situational. You know, we just had two fabulous applicants and really it was just that one already had that year behind her. Um, so, you know, it's not easy. We, we do want all our interviewees to do really well. And look, if we had a job for everybody, we'd love to you know give it give it to them so um yeah so we do sorry I've gone off track but um yeah we we will typically um do the reference checks offer the job to the successful applicant if they accept then they there's a sort of HR onboarding process that that we go through um and then I will if if somebody's made the effort to come in for an interview I will always um call them to to let them know that they've been unsuccessful Right, and, and and to give them that feedback. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. if they want it, I always ask. You know, do you yeah. want feedback? Yeah, we really encourage um, the therapists we work with to to get that feedback. I think it's really important going into your next interview. Um, if there's anything you can improve on, that's really valuable to get that feedback um, for your next interview. And like that case that you've just described, Kath, um, Kath, it just comes down to sometimes it literally just comes down to one person having more experience than the others and that's completely out of your control. So having that positive feedback, even though you've been unsuccessful, gives you so much more confidence going into your next interview. Absolutely. And look, I think too, it's um, you could say, look, I, I'm really keen to work for your organisation. If anything comes up in the future, would you please keep it in mind? Because, you know, I've done that. I've actually run somebody who was unsuccessful for a role recently, a quite a high-level role, a senior role. Um, she had missed out on a role and I rang her up and said, you know, are you still interested? <laughs> and now she's working with us. So that's, um, yeah, that, and we're very lucky to have yeah. her. So. Well, the world, the world of allied health is a very small world, isn't it? Absolutely, okay. yes. Your networks are critical and start, you know, developing those now if you haven't already started. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, so um, leaving a very good last impression if you've been unsuccessful can pay dividends in the future. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Now, specifically um, for our early graduate and early career therapists listening, 
what advice do you have around, um, you know, what do you see as the main challenges for therapists in their first year of practice? So, I mean, specifically looking at um, the role that they've moved into, I, I think, you know, learning the systems, I think you're still kind of developing your clinical skills and you're trying to learn new systems as well. And there's often in the organisations quite a lot of systems that you've got to navigate. Um, I guess the culture of an organisation is something too that you've got to um, learn. Um, so there's all these other bits and pieces that, you know, you might have experienced a little bit of this on track, but now that you're an actual, you know, team member um, and, you know, you're part of this culture now, that's something, you know, the, the culture is the way things are done in an organisation and that's a bit of a learning curve too, I think, for people. Um, um, can I just mention your point earlier about um, about discussing the values of researching and discussing the values of an organisation in um, in interview? I really like that point, and and we come we come back to it now again. Um, if you found an organisation where your values really align with their values, it's going to um, increase your chances of um of really enjoying the, the company cult the not company the organization's culture um absolutely and, and it's going to make a, for an easier transition into the organization wouldn't you say oh i totally agree and look we're looking for that in interviews making sure that there is alignment there um and certainly the behaviors that we need to see um do need to align with our you know values so yeah that's um yeah very good point um, I guess, you know, navigating the work-life balance as well as it mm. is something that new graduates um, in their first year of practice kind of need to get used to. Um, I think uni life can be quite different. You know, you've got your, I went to UQ, we had the pool, we had the gym, we had all that sort of stuff. We had our friends on tap, we had bars, all of that kind of thing. And I guess, you know, we are really busy in that first year of practice and um, just maintaining our own well-being is is really important mm -hmm. and I think um, really taking some time to reflect on that and think about well what are the hobbies that are important to me and um, how do I now fit this into my new schedule and some people have moved out of home for the first time they might have lived at home while they're at uni um, or lived at college with others and now they're kind of sending for themselves a little bit more um, so that's that's a whole new learning as well and I think you know we do just need to be kind to ourselves in those early years and um, take the time to really think about how that might be impacting us. And, um, uh, and you know, your employer does want you to do well. So um, they're a really good source of support. Um, and if you are struggling with any of that, I, I do think it's important to um, just, you know, find that trusted person who might be a little bit more senior to you who can support you. I just remember my first year of work, um, Oh, actually, I, I missed out. I, I actually went and did a uh, locum before I did my first role out in Roma. I went up the Sunshine Coast and I had all these visions of going to the beach every afternoon after work. But I think I went to bed at like 7 o'clock every night. <laughs> I was so tired. Um, so fatigue is quite a big one as well and sort of managing that and um, eating well and doing all the right things from a health and wellbeing perspective. It certainly is, Kath, and um, it's such a steep, it's such a steep learning curve that that mm -hmm. first year, and I remember, I remember um, also collapsing in a heap at about seven o'clock at night for about the first six months, and I'd go to work all day, and then I'd I'd come home and I'd read and I'd study and I'd spend Saturdays, you know, catching up on reports that I wasn't getting done during the week, and it's it's not sustainable. Um, and I don't think that there was an acceptance of transparency around, um, you know, 
that sort of thing when 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 we were grads. Um, so I think it's really important to um, to um, seek the support of you know your supervisor in the workplace, um, and just don't don't burn yourself out, especially in those first six months. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know the the key is that um, sometimes our behaviours can um, become less optimal when we are burnt out and we are feeling like um, we've kind of um, what's the word? We've got nothing left in our buckets, you yes. know. Yes. And so yeah, it's just it's really key to just look after yourself in that way. I think would be my main advice. Mm. Um, sorry, I think too there. Um, really try to establish strong mentoring relationships in those early years as well if that's not ready readily available in the organization that you're working for then really try and seek it out externally I think is is important and another thing I'd recommend too is um we talked before Claire about the um I guess the clinical reasoning skills behind different techniques that we might use um or different sort of therapies that we use so um I think it's good to have somebody that you can go to and and continue in that star sort of approach in the sense of running things through saying, this was the situation, this is what I'm thinking I'm going to do. Mm. Um, is there anything else I should be thinking about? You know, you're you're not, you're, you're bringing it to your supervisor or your more senior person and you're running it through. And then over time, I think um, they're going to be saying less, or oh, have you thought about this or have you thought about this yeah. because um, you were already thinking of it. Yeah, mm. but I think in the, those early days you may, you don't know what you don't know. So just presenting what you think you're going to do um, and then getting people's feedback as to, you know, what else you might be able to think of is good. Yeah. It's having that sounding, it's having that sounding board, isn't it? Sometimes you can think you're, you know, without um, without someone to reference, you can sometimes think you're doing an amazing job, but you're actually missing 50% of the of the yes. equation. Um, which is which is um which is easy to do when you're working particularly. I know we're quite OT focused, just both being OTs here, but especially in something like OT because it's so holistic that there is yeah. so much to consider. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking of an example um, in physio, actually, in the ICU. You know, a, a junior physio might have seen somebody else do something in a particular way and so they come in and they go, well, I'm going to do this because I saw my senior do it this way. But, well, what was the reason um, and what are the comorbidities that we need to think about? And, you know, being able to explain out why it is that you're doing um, this particular thing rather than, oh, I saw them do it, so I'm doing it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. That is invaluable um, advice uh, for uh, any graduate and early career therapist and senior therapist for that matter. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Heyo. I hope it's useful. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Allied Health Podcast. In the show's notes, you'll find links to our free recruitment resources, job opportunities and healthcare marketplace insights. To listen to new episodes, please subscribe via Apple, Google or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star rating and review and be sure to tell your therapy colleagues and friends to tune in. Music